Oh, hello, Paul. I got your message. Ah, Richard, this is Giles, the renowned scientist author. Oh, another writer. Maybe one of you should have written this sketch. I don't believe it. Why are you looking at me like that? It's incredible. It's a marvellous job. Who did it? Well, it's adequate. But the question is not so much who, my dear fellow, as why. Uh, I'm a writer. I leave the editing and promotion to others. Very wise of you, old chap. Now look, I don't know what all this is about, but I must... Uh, restrain him! Hmm, what do you want me to do with him? Well, we can't have him podcasting all over the Hooniverse. Disassemble him. We can cannibalise him for parts. What parts? Now, wait a minute. I should like to keep the accent. It really is quite remarkable. Hmm, well... If I make a cut here, you can have the flat vowels. Excellent. Look, far be it from me to query this fellow's competence, but where I come from, if you cut out the patient's voice, it's going to make a very dull podcast. Wait, is it capable of independent thought? I didn't think so. Better check the brain. Hmm, looks quite organic, and the, the ego's rather swollen. Well, what did you expect from a podcast host? Extraordinary. If I didn't know better, he's real. What? Brilliant. Hmm. Well, you can keep your accent for now. Uh, but the Missing Episodes podcast is about to reach the Dodo stories, so uh, we might need it for about half an episode. And welcome to Something Who Podcast, episode 32. I'm Richard, and after the excitement of our live show a few weeks ago, once again we're back with our classic format. <laughs> <laughs> and in this episode, we're swashing our buckle in a huge way, with Fourth Doctor Story, The Androids of Tara, followed by Twelfth Doctor Story, Robot of Sherwood. And we're also back with our classic lineup, Paul and Giles. <laughs> Hello. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah, I missed the live one. Would have been uh, would have been fun to take part. Yeah, well, well, I mean, don't worry too much because I think we're going to come back with another one fairly shortly. Yeah. God, are we? <laughs> <laughs> and we might we might even have a bit more participation. Well, I mean, in the sense that we might actually look at more at what our, our live audience is saying and um, maybe take some topics from them next time. Mm. <laughs> I looked at what they were saying last time. It was, uh, it was, it was frightening. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. A stream of unmitigated filth. Okay, so let's get cracking. Which means, first up, looking at Androids of Tara, which is the fourth story in season sixteen. It's part of the season-long key to time arc, as I'm sure every single one of our listeners already knows. Written by David Fisher, directed by Michael Hayes. And, yeah, first time I'd seen this in approximately 42 years. So, um, quite an interesting watch. Approximately. Yeah. Mm. Well, good. Perhaps it'll encourage you to watch more Doctor Who. I know that's not something you enjoy, as a rule. It's something you try very hard to avoid. 
Well, we've had that discussion, haven't we, that, that I'm a, a bit of a meta fan. I, I seem to spend more of my time watching, reading and listening to things about Doctor Who than actually watching the show itself. So, uh, yeah, maybe that is a lesson to me. And that you, you switched off in the Graham Williams era because you were a, you're becoming a teenager and thought it was too silly, like Adrian Mole. That was the, basically it, wasn't it? I know that's not yeah. what you said, but that's what I choose to believe, and I'm uh, hanging on I, to that. I think that's it's, it's very, very accurate, yeah. Hmm. So, so yeah, so, Giles, hmm. did you remember this, this story, Androids of Tara, from its original showing, or, or from maybe later on? I have very vague memories of it. I remember the bits when they're trying to get into the tunnels to get to the coronation. That stuck with me. Hmm. As a, you know, for some reason, that that particular bit lingered in my memory. I probably probably saw most of it at the time, but mm. I think I mostly kind of remember it from it being one of the uh, one of the sagas that I read, right? And re- reread and reread fairly compulsively, just because I rather enjoyed it as a good ripping yarn kind of thing. And then shortly after that, I discovered the Pr- Prisoner of Zender itself, mm-hmm. and then read and reread that as well. <laughs> And I think, didn't they do, did, did Barry and Terence do a Sunday Tea Time Classics, Prisoner of Zender, sometime relatively soon, and like maybe early to mid-80s? It's, it's very easy to believe it, but I, mm. I, can't, I can't confirm or deny it. And there we go. This is going to be one of, the, one of our classic cases of doing, it, doing our research on the fly. Can you look it up while I'm telling the world my memories of Andrew Dittar? <laughs> <laughs> I warn you, you won't have long. <laughs> I, I would definitely have watched this, but I don't have any memories of it from the time. If you want to know, you don't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I remember some of the spooky visuals of uh, the Reboss operation. Mm-hmm. I remember Kroll. Mm-hmm. He's quite hard to forget when you're an mm-hmm. impressionable age. But um, as much as I enjoy this story now, it didn't really mm-hmm. linger in my imagination as a child. I guess I was all about the science fiction. I was not never really very interested in mm. swashbuckling <laughs> as a nipper. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say similar, to be honest. I, 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 I was, what, about 10 or 11 when this came on. And so I, I, I have you know, quite strong memories of the key to time season, but not anything particular about this one. I mean, I remembered it well enough. Uh, like you, Charles, I'd, I'd read the book at some time afterwards as well. It was was it David Fisher who wrote it, or was it Terence Dix? David Fisher. Oh, the the book was Terence Dix. I'm pretty sure. Terence yeah. Terence Dix. Yeah. Right. Because David Fisher did write targets eventually, didn't he? Am I right? He did. I think this might have been the era when I don't want to libel anybody, but there was definitely an era when it was alleged target didn't actually bother contacting the original authors right. because they just assumed Terence would be happy to do all of them and. Uh-huh. Mm. And I think it changed when one author discovered they hadn't been contacted and said, well, hang on, I would have done that. Right. Mm. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Perhaps it was David Fisher because he's, he started eventually. I think he started with Creature from the Pit. Right. And mm. did that and Leisure Hive. Hive. And yeah. then hasn't he gone back and subsequently done his own version of Stones of Blood for audio? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. That was quite a novel Oh no! I don't. <laughs> no pun intended, but that was quite a novelty. Mm, yeah. He didn't do Enter to Tara again, did he? No, that's the first I know. Anyway, I, ha- I have confirmed that it was eighty-four, and right. had um, jo- right. Jonathan Cheekbones Morris from Snake Dance. Oh yes, oh that one. Yes, the yeah. one, and from Red, Red, I believe, if I remember rightly. Yes, 
Yeah, as, right. um, as Rupert of Hensow in it. So, yeah. Hmm. I'm glad that you are very familiar with The Prisoner of Zender because um, I hadn't read it as a child. And in fact, I didn't really read it until about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Mm. And it hasn't lodged. So I will not be in a position to discuss the, the similarities and differences. But you can. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Literature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I imagine that I'm having to uh, rest on my memories of the Barry Letts and Terence Dix version, which are so strong that I couldn't even really remember whether they did it, did it or not. So. Surely Douglas Fairbanks Jr. would have been more your period, Richard. <laughs> now, has anyone done any research about the, the, the behind-the-scenes, the reason this even exists? Because David Fisher has come back to write two, a second story mm. on the trot. Yes, now, is that because, was that planned, or was it because he made such a great job of Stones of Blood they immediately rushed him back? You wouldn't think that that was, the, I mean, I know, I know TV was mm, done at a different pace in those days, but you wouldn't have thought No, it's all rather. there was that much flexibility yeah. in the schedule. But then again, they did, they did the same with Chris mm. Boucher, um, mm. went two in a row. I have, I have done a little research, I don't want to tread on anyone's toes, but at least... <laughs> at least as far as reading the um stamp all over mine i've done nothing <laughs> at least as far as reading the uh, produ- reading the production subtitles and then thinking well that's a bit funny hmm. and it is a bit funny and i can't make out the you know there's there's slightly contradictory things and i can't work out which one is which one is right so allegedly this slot was going to be the i'm trying to remember the sequence of events here this slot was going to be the ted lewis story so Graham Williams knew Ted Lewis of Get right. Ca- of Get Carter, Jack's, Jack's Return Home slash Get Carter, and various other incredibly gritty and grim nineteen mm-hmm. seventies crime novels. From they'd worked on Z Cars together, and for some reason this convinced Williams that tapping up Ted Lewis to write a Doctor Who would be a <laughs> would be a good idea. <laughs> and this the marvel the rather marvelous coincidence is that apparently they. He and Anthony Reid and Ted Lewis got together and had a chat about Doctor Who story ideas. And the idea they came up with was, well, wouldn't it be interesting if you met someone from history and they weren't all they were cracked up to be? And the concept that they settled on was meeting Robin Hood and finding out that he was a villain. And I can't find out anything more about the actual nature of the story that was going to be built around that, Hmm. except that the script that was then produced was or that I think Lewis got through three episodes of was going to be called the Doppelgangers, which kind of suggests that this would have been treading on the same toes as the concept that we eventually got. You might think double mm. playing around with doubles and things like that. Yeah, and then Ted Lewis was frankly, I think his marriage was breaking up and he had a drink problem and didn't turn stuff in and then turned up drunk to a meeting and that relationship came to a fairly shuddering halt. Mm-hmm. So in their desperation to fill the gaps, they then commissioned, they got in touch with Robert Holmes and said, can you come up with something at short notice? Uh-huh. And Holmes came up with Kroll, which was originally going to be the fourth episode, but Michael Hayes, who was slotted for the director, said, I'm not touching... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not touching a giant octopus with a with a ten foot barge pole. Allegedly, he expressed reservations about the practicality of right. of of doing crawl. Yeah. Therefore, they swapped the two stories. Uh-huh. So, crawl was the replacement for slot number four and became slot number five. And this is where it gets contradictory because it appears that meanwhile they had commissioned David Fisher 
off the back of Stones of Blood yeah. to do you know, at least according to the subtitles, which is I think Richard Molesworth. Yeah. They commissioned him to do to basically write the Androids of Tower um, the Prisoner of Zender in Space. Right. Yeah, you know, as a you know, a, a swashbuckling romance. But then the thing is, if the Ted Lewis story was on the on the slate at the same time, yeah, and especially if it was called the Doppelgangers, it feels like you've got two stories that are very much treading on each other's toes, hmm. potentially. And also, yeah, so as you say, there's a link. There's a possibility that this inherited some of the ideas that had already been generated mm. with the previous writer. Yeah. But also, I, if I hadn't known that, I would have said that this was the sort of idea that you might expect a writer to come up with Either at short notice, yeah, yeah, or mm. when he's already yeah. just written something else and his mind might be running dry of fresh ideas. Mm. To just say, yeah. "Well, let's do prisoners in space," you know, a nice one-line mm. pitch like that, which yeah. doesn't involve a lot of original thought, mm. with the best will in the world, you know, is the sort of thing you might expect to to result. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say, and then on the so it goes into a great deal to detail about that in the subtitles to one episode, and then I think in episode four it briefly recaps the story. And basically, there it says that Android Zatara, it kind of says was a basic, was a straight replacement for for the doppelgangers right. story. Yeah, I can't quite make hide nor hair of it. Well, it's it's, it's not unlike the uh, not unlike the two versions of creation you get in Genesis one after the other. <laughs> not unlike that. <laughs> yes, of equal <laughs> theological importance throughout the <laughs> the millennia. Maybe there's a compromise version which makes both stories fit because if they oh I had it when you were saying it and suddenly it made sense to me <laughs> yeah if you say to a writer let's have another one I haven't got any ideas well we were already thinking about doing something with doppelgangers mm. a writer yes. whose head is full of childhood novels would yeah. think oh mm. well Zender yeah. so that's yeah. you know, it could that's... all happen in a five minute discussion in the yeah. BBC bar yes yeah. I don't know why I suggested it would be in the BBC bar but probably, so. probably was, probably was. <laughs> let's face it. it. It sounds all too plausible. Yeah. Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to get my head around Tara. Tara is the name of the planet, right? Mm. But it, it also seems seem, it also seems to be the name of the place where the coronation happens. Mm. And Tara, it's, the capital city of Tara. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But but then, what, what's the name of the country? Or, or is, is there only one country in Tara? Uh, Tara, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit like Iowa County, Iowa. Um, yeah. And I believe there is an Iowa city, but that's not in Iowa County, Iowa. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then there's the Taran Wood Beast, which, <laughs> so, so far as I know, is not credited as the Taran Wood Beast, either, you know, in, in the script or indeed on, you know, mm. or in the credits or anything, but... It seems that seems to be what we call it. Mm. Oh, who wonder which fan elder made that up? It does. Oh, it your mate Jer- was it your mate Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> Get him on the Jeremy hotline. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it does feel like it may have come from the pages of, of Doctor Who Monthly or or mm. your Toy Room or something like that. Ah, uh, you got to love it. It's a shame, isn't it? It's got nothing to do with the story, which is obviously why they didn't mm. spend any money on it whatsoever. Yeah, and. Um, it's one of those. It's given people who don't like the story an excuse to write the whole thing off because mm. it's got something visually appalling at the beginning. And they could have saved even more money, and they should have just got Agador out of the closet, <laughs> painted him a different colour, painted him purple, and yeah. Well, well my 
favorite theory. I can't I can't claim credit. I'm not sure who came up with this. Might have been. Now, I'm not sure if it was a Tapwood idea, but but my my favorite fan theory is that the town Wood Beast is a local peasant that Grendel gets to uh, <laughs> dress up in this stupid costume yes. and go around terrorizing yeah. terrorizing any fair fair maidens that are wandering around the woods so he can I like it. He can leap out and yeah. Deep, do some do. Deeply plausible. Hmm. And he does, he has that line about how he keeps some beasts on his land, yes. doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> uh, and is it a satire? I mean, it seems like the the kind of lower classes are the ones who know what's going on and, and sort everything out, and the upper mm. classes, whilst making a lot of noise and fury, don't actually you know have much to con- contribute. But, I mean, that... It, it starts off quite strongly with, with that in episode one, and then that seems to mm. sort of fade away at some point in the in narrative. I wouldn't complain about that. I think that's pretty standard, isn't it? That um, <clears throat> lots of the, the detail and the setting and the satire are early on while the writers enjoying themselves. They, the episode one tend to be full of that. And by episode mm. four, you've just left with the running around and tidying everything up, aren't you? So I think that's... It, it is, isn't it? But um, Doctor Who in this era... It's full of that sort of thing. It just comes with the, the sort of writers they're choosing. Yeah. Mm. It, they seem to think that's part of the point of the programme, part of the fun you can have with it, that you don't just make up a ludicrous, fancy science fiction place. You don't just make up a planet with a silly name and have people wrapped in Baker for you. You say something, even if it... It's not, it's not play for day, they're not trying to change the world, but you just... Mm. You didn't write about nothing. They just can't help themselves but write about something. And I'm not saying it's better. As I say, I'm not saying that Doctor of other eras that, that don't have that are necessarily poorer for that reason. But I, I mean, I'm constantly drawn to compare Hinchcliffe and Williams' eras mm-hmm. because I like both of them. And right. I was told growing up that you had to pick one. <laughs> and moreover, that you, had, um, that you had to pick Hinchcliffe, of course, <laughs> because there was literally no way you could possibly prefer this but um whenever i watch these stories out of order whenever i dart back and forward from hinchcliffe to williams i am reminded as much as you love the hinchcliffe era, holmes era for doing what it does for sticking doggedly to trying to terrify hmm. anyone un- under the age of 12 and it when you go back from this era it seems to be lacking some color it's hmm. doing what it's doing very well but it's suddenly there are fewer jokes, there are fewer women, mm. there's less playfulness. It's yeah. all very single-mindedly about the horror, with mm. odd, you know, with odd exceptions, which, <laughs> which tend to be the ones yeah. which people back in the day mm. didn't like as much. They thought mm. they were failures because they didn't. Android invasion is a failure because it isn't mm. Terror of the Zygons or whatever. Mm. Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about the wrong era. No, mm. I, think, I, think that's, I think that's a good point. What other comparisons are there? There's the fact that in the in Hinchcliffe they're ripping, they're almost in, entirely pastiching mm. gothic literature and and horror fiction, yeah. horror science fiction. They don't go very far outside that. Here we're taking influences from all over the place. Mm. And I was thinking about this is the only really, and I guess you could say City of Death does a Bulldog Drummond kind of thing, but that's really only ripping off one character. This is, this is kind of the only one where. The only one I can think of in at least the post-Robert Holmes-Williams era where we really get into doing a conscious homage, do you not think? What was specific was Stones of work? Yes, yeah. Yeah, you get myths and legends a bit, but you don't get 
necessary literature. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. I guess you. Yes. I guess you get those. It's. It's just interesting because I was until, thinking it's so, until it's the so, new series. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I it's just, JNT that doesn't like it. Hmm. I was just thinking it's so. To to my mind, it's so successful doing this, and it plays to the strengths of what the BBC could do at the time, especially at the time when they were they were famously suffering quite a heavy budget crunch. That I'm surprised they didn't revisit that and and think, okay, what other kind yeah. of classic romance and adventure story literature can we? It's true. Can we well, give the give the Inchcliffe treatment to, as it were? You know, there are lots of strengths. When people talk about the BBC's strengths. Mm. What they they are talking about it's not really the tone they're thinking of it's the the production standards mm. that they can create i mean the the mask of mandragora mm. has the same sort of look but it's very very serious isn't it mm. it's shakespearean but here we've abandoned any pretense that this is i'm so i should stop obsessing over hinchcliffe you see i'm still trying to work mm. out <laughs> but my <laughs> brain is still buzzing with trying to work out what on earth robert holmes was playing at because when he writes it he doesn't write it like that but all the other stories that he's being, he's editing, mm. are much more serious and less playful. Mm. When he gets his hand on the wheel, mm. and admittedly, as we just said about Talents of Wing Triang, it's mm. only really at the end that he starts involving lots of other literary pastiches. Mm. But he's he's taken forever, detective fiction and pot boilers, thrillers, mm. all that rummy stuff. So in a sense, that's got more Talents got more in common with this era. Mm. Some people say that what this is lacking is tension. Yeah. And I suppose you can see that. It's got some action, but what are the, what are its critics saying? That um, you don't ever really believe anyone's in danger? That it's too light and playful? Too playful? Well, mm. well yeah, I mean, you, you, you could say that. When you talk about the stakes, the low stakes, I don't think low stakes is a problem for drama. I don't think no. you need to have the universe exploding mm. every week. And I think it makes a refreshing change mm. to have the stakes be... <laughs> The survival of the of the right side in a, yeah. in a minor political wrangle. Mm. Yeah, well, just when you think that that nothing bad's going to happen to anyone, they they kill off Lamia. So I mean, it isn't. Mm. It, they do. It, you know, it's, it's not that it's completely without stake. I mean, I I think on the whole, I, I like the tone and and I like the you know I, I I was quite swept up with it. I I feel like I don't I don't want Tom Baker to be Serious, but I just think I wanted to be slightly more disciplined in it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I'm happy with him, ha- you know, taking it lightly. But there are one or two occasions when it feels like, I mean, on the whole, I think with this one, it, he, he's got enough to do that 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 he's he's quite enjoying it, and he's not he's not t- doing anything too daft. But there's just the odd moment when it feels like he's lost interest a bit, and and there's nobody around to say, "Look, Tom, can you do that properly this time, please?" Hmm. I know what you mean. <laughs> some of his shtick is getting a bit familiar isn't it and you, it's difficult to tell if it's in the script or if it's places where there wasn't a gag in the script and Tom has put one in to punch it up but it's the same trick over and over again mm. of reacting to something that another character says very earnestly mm. now undercutting it mm. Prince Raynaud did you say Prince Raynaud yes never heard of him mm. That's what it, but yeah. you get one or two of those every episode mm. well, that, that's very odd wouldn't you say that's odd? That's very odd. Hmm. Handful of those. Yeah. The only one I know was a Tom invention was the bartering, the bartering thing. Where he barters his way down. Yeah. There's apparently spur ah, moment. 
Just, that's the best joke in there. So that's, <laughs> yeah. As no, somebody who's written a script that, that I thought was, <laughs> you know, quite funny, <laughs> had a few good gags in it, and then you hand it over and uh, <laughs> the script that is recorded has a few scribbles on in Tom's handwriting, and the best joke in it is one of his, <laughs> where he's seen the potential in what you wrote and turned it <laughs> up to, to, uh, <laughs> to 11. <laughs> I can well believe that. <laughs> He's a very clever man. <laughs> There's one other literary allusion that I thought was in there, which is uh, right at the end of, ep- of episode three, Grendel comes in with his flag of truce, which doesn't really convince anyone. But then hmm. he manages to both destroy the android king and steal off with Romana. And it seemed to me that you know to lose one might be regarded as a misfortune, but to lose both was you know possibly carelessness. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think that was the one moment in it where I, I, I couldn't quite believe that the Doctor would be as as useless as that. Really, yes. I and mean, that summer house sequence is probably the weakest. I and mean, it's a bit still to the whole thing with the Android Romana, whether yeah, where Lamy is reduced to shoving her, <laughs> shoving her around and pointing her in different directions <laughs> to try and, <laughs> to try to shoot shoot the Doctor. Yeah, it's a bit weak. The, just the direction there falls down a bit. Hmm. While we're talking about androids, in case I forget to say it, can I just say that the performance of who's the chap who plays the prince? Oh Lord, um, Neville something or other. Um, I think his his uh, android acting is extremely good. Yeah, it's very funny at times when it needs to mm. be, yeah. and but also just very very convincing. His stillness is eerie. Mm. His battery going flat acting is excellent. It's just brilliant all the way through, and it's. Mm. You fully buy that one of the the one on that side of the screen is a real person, <laughs> and the other one is the one with the removable face that we saw earlier, which helps a lot. Mm. Neville Jason and Mary Tam has a good stab at it as well. Yes, mm. <laughs> yes and she also manages to get an even posher version of, of Romana, you know, for, for Princess Trill. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Romana's that posh. If I do like Mary Tam. <laughs> I, I, I think she, I think she's great, and I think you you don't get the. I think that I was I was watching the the stuff where the Doctor wants to go fishing. Yeah. At the start, and the, it's really good screwball comedy, kind of the interplay between her and Tom in that in that scene, like the a bit of eye, bit of eye rolling, bit of you know, yeah, bit of back chat. Uh, it's um. Yep. I just thought, yeah, it's so it's. It's a bit like the whole Rose Tyler thing, to be honest. It's just like when you when you get to Romana two and you know Lala and Tom, it all just gets a bit too smug. I think it's just that, that little bit too self satisfied. Whereas I think they <laughs> they mm. kind of bounce bounce off each other. That the the one upmanship thing is quite is fun. Yeah. The whole low key opening to the story is yeah. interesting, isn't it? I think that's probably something you wouldn't have got mm. if this was a fresh writer. I think it's only because he just written one which yes. is all about the key to time. Hmm. I think David Fisher's reacting against that and think, well, I'll hmm. get that out of the way. Yeah, not not in a way that I would hmm. think was a dereliction of duty. Not yeah, as one of those writers who can't be bothered to take the brief seriously, but just as in, well, let's do something different this time. Yeah, and I don't think anyone feels shortchanged hmm. because it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, by story four, I think it's fine. You know, because you've Absolutely. already had three of those other ones. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to do six in a six in a row, you are going to be. And of course, it's um. Considering these pieces are randomly distributed and randomly disguised, why wouldn't you be able to get one nice and simply one mm. without encountering any peril on the way, on the way to the mm. segment itself? 
it's just getting away with it. That's the turns out to be the issue. Hmm. Hmm. Peter Jeffrey's good, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, marvelous! Yeah. Mm. Always, never, yeah, always watchable. Anyone think of any other performances of his that might have suggested him for the role? I'm just wondering what Michael Hayes was thinking of. Did he do other fruity performances like this? As a matter of course. I'm trying to think what what he does in the Avengers. I'm trying to remember what which Avengers episodes he's in, because I know I've seen stuff like this where he's got quite the su- the superciliousness, this, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Whereas you wouldn't really think from Macro Terra there was anything suggestive of it, would you? No, I've I've already mm. forgotten Macro Terra, and I only watched it about eighteen months ago. Oh, it's good. It's just it's doing its own thing. Mm. Doesn't have a lot of room for larger than life characters. Mm. I wouldn't say he's wasted in the macro terror, it's just that he's used expertly here. Mm. Michael Hayes is good as well, isn't he? Yes. Graham Williams era gets a lot of criticism for the it's directors, just because they're not all they're not Douglas Canfield or David Maloney or whatever. But as we're not doing the sort of stories now that need Douglas Canfield and David Maloney, I don't think it's really a problem. Mm. And if you try and adjust your expectations and look at it look at what they're actually trying to do. Mm. The writers and the directors are doing a brilliant job and perfectly in tune. And you've got to like Michael Hayes. Yeah. He was kind of an un... I, don't, I feel like the fan world didn't know much about him until he popped up on DVDs talking about mm. just how involved he was in City of Death. But also here, having the strength to <laughs> say, I'm not directing a giant mm. squid. Give me something mm. decent to do. <laughs> you don't hear of many Doctor Who directors that try and pull that one. Mm. No. Something that's tickling the back of my mind about another director who... Oh, no, I'm just thinking of Peter Moffat with State of Decay saying, oh, can you give me the original script back, please? This this version's terrible. Mm. Mm. I think the location work is is pretty good, and there's there's one or two bits where he's sort of trying to film stuff through bits of vegetation to make it a little bit more interesting to look at and so on. You know, mm. it's, it's all... Yeah. You know, and, and fundamentally, he gets the whole thing done, doesn't he, for, for presumably the £2.50 mm. that they had in the kitty, so you can't really <laughs> complain about that, can you? I think it's better yes. than that. I think um, if you just look at the technical aspects, that sword fight in episode 4 yes. is very well done. Yes, it's very well choreographed, yeah. and it and it used the set very well. Mm. Mm. Well, goodness me, we've seen that done a hell of a lot worse. Mm. Mm, definitely. I'm not quite sure what the link is between these two stories today, whether it's fictional stories set in bucolic landscapes or, or if it's sword fights. Very long sword fights at the end, yeah. Yeah. How many other sword fights are there in Doctor Who? I've just been watching The Sea Devils yes. in my private life. Don't mm. judge me. And that's got quite <laughs> a good sword fight. Mm. And so it's a really... The one to which they all have to compare is the one in The King's Demons, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yes. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> just pointlessly, gratuitously sarcastic. Mm. No, this is probably the best, I think. Mm. Yes. And it tells a story. It tells a story because you were moaning about um, the fourth Doctor clowning too much, and he starts off clowning. He does, yes, in this fight, and then it is revealed yes. that mm. he's just putting on his opponent, lulling him into a full sense of security. Yeah. Mm. And actually, Tom is of an age where you could believe that he. I mean, I know the Doctor's supposed to be a different age, but he, he sort of looks physically strong enough to be able to do all that kind of stuff. And, and let's face it, Peter Jeffrey's not in the first flush of youth either, so it does look like a reasonable match. Do mm. do you think they're, um, or do you even know? <laughs> is it mostly those two actors doing the sword fight? They're not doubled by stuntmen. It, it, it says it says sort of organised by Terry Walsh. Whether yeah. how much of it he does, I don't know. Because when Peter Jeffrey put the uh, mask, mm. uh, his helmet on, I was thinking, oh, hello, <laughs> they're going to swap him out for 
Stuart mm. Fell or whatever. But it is them, isn't it? Mm. And and it looks remarkably good. And I was thinking sometimes actors get to display hitherto unknown talents in a on screen. Mm. Where the production team find out that they can juggle or something, they write mm. that in and you go, Oh look mm. they can juggle, that's good. But this isn't one of them, is it? Because actors mm. would have just been trained in sword fighting. Yeah. Sword fighting Singing, dancing, they had to do it all in those days. They had to be mm, all round entertainers. Yes. So, what Anthony Ainley's excuse is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, will you just stick to the story in question uh, and stop digressing? Uh, Cyril Shapps? I mean, it's I not didn't recognize Cyril Shapps there. I didn't recognise mm. him. That's bad of me, isn't it? Mm. Must be the beard. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's mm. not much of a role for him, but it but it's uh, it's. it's you know, quite nice to see him back again. It's quite fun. I quite, I, I quite like the his slight incredulity of. He seems to be the world's most gullible Archimandrite, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and at the yeah, I mean that's part of the fun of it on a on a on a meta level. The fact that Count Grendel is this dastardly villain, but he is nevertheless absolutely pernickety about the fact that he is going to get the throne of Tara by engineering a succession scenario in which in which he. Is legitimately on the throne. Yes. Yeah, yes. no matter no matter how many people he has to kill along the way, the one thing the one thing he won't do is interfere is actually interfere with the line of succession. <laughs> it's quite it's quite amusing yeah. the preposterous links to which he'll you know by the time he's telling the argument, right? Oh well, yeah, mm. I don't think I don't think Prince Reinhardt's long for this world. So yeah, then you can marry him off to his yeah, <laughs> then you can marry him off to his marry me off to his widow mm. shortly afterwards. And Declan Mulholland. Ah, of course. I thought I was the, going to be the uh, only yes. person to mention him. Right. Ah, yes. Right. Can I? Can I be? Who, the one funny who... enough, is in the Sea Devils as well. He is. Yes, it's been quite a week mm. for me and yeah. Declan Mulholland. I only really know him <laughs> from the Sea Devils and this, <laughs> and being the original Jab of the Heart. Hmm. Oh. Which we all know, don't we? Oh yes. He does keep his accent in everything, doesn't he? He's got the same accent in Sea Devils. And I think mm-hmm. he has. I haven't gone back and checked when he's being Jab of the Hutt talking to mm. <laughs> wandering around the Millennium Falcon with Harrison Ford in a mm. big fur coat. Mm. Have you well, seen that, Richard? You, you're looking very blank. No, 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 no. And I mean, I, I, I do know that Jabba wasn't originally a huge, great uh, monster. Um, I was, well, just, I was just <laughs> thinking that that you know, about the accent thing. If it was good enough for Sean Connery, then you know, it's uh, <laughs> that's the way everyone else shouldn't have a crack at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now he's funny, and there's um, yeah, I mean, it's a, and again, it's a small part, but he gets one scene where he gets to do a bit of mm. business with Tom. It's when he's coming in, giving him the secret information, and he keeps mm. punctuating every sentence. He looks off to his side as if there's somebody listening, mm. which is funny. <laughs> and I could just imagine those two working that up together in the mm. rehearsal yeah. rooms before a liquid lunch, or possibly afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing when he's welcoming um, welcoming Count Grendel back to the back to the castle. Hmm. The whole tugging, tugging the forelock and dancing, kind of <laughs> <laughs> dancing his way in. Ah, come over here, sir. Come over here. I know we're on the cast now, but I was going to talk about Lamia as a character. Yeah, go on. Mm. She, well, she uh, yes, interesting character. I, I know I keep banging my drum about how one of the lesser noticed things about this era is that there are better parts for for women. Yeah, but mm. it's true there are, and this is not interesting talking point potentially. <laughs> Oh, this is the sort of part that would probably have been male in most of these stories. The the android yeah. technician obviously yeah. would have been male. It's not just been swapped to to be female just this. Well, I, who knows? I, I don't think it's been swapped to be female just for the sake of it, because of course she has the 
interesting relationship with yeah. hmm. with Grendel. Yeah. Which also crosses a class divide. So it's an interesting dynamic yes. there. Yeah. And she again, although she's gets one good scene when she's talking to Romana and there's some reasonably subtle understated writing about that she knows she's not under any illusions yes, yes, that's about right. her future mm. but she d- just can't help it which is nice it doesn't I mean it's a nice scene between two women it doesn't pass the Bechdel test because they're talking about a, a man <laughs> but <laughs> you know this is 1978 you can't have everything yeah mm. yeah it's, a, it's quite a restrained performance as well you know she's very calm throughout it hmm what am I trying to say? I mean, you know, she's not playing it in the sort of cliched female way for the 1970s. Hmm. No, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just to pick the thing I've watched most recently, The Sea Devils. Captain Hart, the uh, the naval chief's assistant, is a, a, la- a lady officer. But she's very attractive and got an enormous amount of makeup on and is mostly just saying yes sir, no sir, and offering people plates of sandwiches. So, hmm. Hmm. yeah. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. not always about what the actress is capable of, but what on earth they're given, what opportunities yes. they have. Yeah. Mm. I think this is just a well-written to start with. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, but she's, uh, nobody else is playing up the, the villainy. Most of them are giving large and live performances, but nobody else is, is trying to outdo Peter Jeffries, the villain, because mm. he is there mm. to twirl his moustache, is he mm. not? Yes. Mm. I feel there's the thing that, yeah, talking of Peter Jeffrey, going back to that, yeah, it's not, it's not really the same sort of thing, but of course he's the villain in uh, the Joker, the episode of the Avengers, which is the famously where it's where it stops being Mrs. Peel we're needed every week and being all quirky, and it's the um is the Emma Peel stuck in a stuck in the um house of traps and possible possibly haunted house. Is he in that one? For the yes, the house that Jack built. Oh, hang on, are we mixing it up? I don't uh, know. I'm mixing it up. <laughs> I, I have a feeling this is the one that they made it made about two two or three times over. I thought it was called the Joker, but or is that the? I'm sure you know your it better than I do. I pause the recording while we check this. <laughs> Can you play some light music? Get your, get your kazoo do, or your do, ukulele do, out. Do, 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 Here we go. Do, 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 do. We, I'm afraid we can't return any of your pictures, but we do. Um, we dig the mm. prize for uh, for those. Yeah, that we, we can't share. read any of your tweets or or <laughs> give us stuff about any of your comments. <laughs> the House of Jack Bills is the is the black and white version, and I think that the Emma Peels and is she in that, or am I getting confused? Yes, yeah. You can enjoy editing this bit, Richard. Mm. Mm. Okay, well they are, but yes, basically the Joker is the colour remake of. Okay. The Joker Brilliant. is the colour remake of the House of Jack Bills. So what else is there to say, Richard? Well, I, the the only thing that I have to say that I, that I was desperate to say was that is Castlegracht the primary <laughs> wedding location on Tara, the I was planet, or in the country? Because <laughs> uh, it, it it seems unlikely. I'd have thought if you were the Archimandrite that that you know, all these people would have chosen to get married in that particular location. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> shall I give you things. some local expert knowledge on Leeds Castle? Oh, yes. Of course, listeners out there might be thinking, might be thinking that Richard would be better placed to talk about Leeds Castle, but no, it's not <laughs> we, that Leeds, is it, we Richard? Don't, we don't have a castle in Leeds. No, it's in Kent, where all the best castles are. <laughs> um, I'm not sure they show it off quite enough. It's um, you get that one nice long shot, don't you? Mm. Uh, they show once or twice, but um, with the glass, the it's quite. 
with the matte painting for the um the glass painting for the toilets. Yeah, that's mm. good. You can now hire a Segway and, and drive around the grounds oh, and revisit really? all of the filming locations very quickly. Mm. Okay. And be chased be chased by geese. <laughs> I hardly recommend it. Uh, but no tow and wood beast. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a large. The lat grounds are large, mm. and I can't swear <laughs> I've covered every inch of them, so it might still be there. I was just going to say that, and possibly as a link, possibly not, that it looks rather more impressive than the castle they've chosen to use for Robot of Sherwood, which looks too obviously ruined, as far as mm. I can see. Now, I didn't bother looking up where that is. Do, um, is it, is it, is it Carefully, or is, or is that somewhere else? That oh, of course the, it would have to be, wouldn't mm, it? There's mm. a couple of castles, I think, that they use for it. Mm. Right. Yeah. Can I just say the other thing about this that yep. I think it's not an original observation, but that this is actually, despite the historical romance dressings, this is this is possibly as close as Doctor Who comes to doing Star Wars. Yeah. Really. In that you've got, you know, bowcasters and you know bowcasters <laughs> and laser laser swords and and swashbuckling. It's it's actually quite a lot closer to Star Wars than, you know, as 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 we understood it in, you know, 1977, 78. Yeah. Than than a lot of the actual sci-fi. The Invisible yeah, Enemy. Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah. And in spirit. Well, thankfully, they never. Re- I don't think they ever really try. Hmm. Big Finish tried once, and I didn't think it really came off, despite hmm. all the talent involved. It's a difficult thing to, despite the fact that it's so heavily predicated on other, hmm. other fictional eras. Hmm. It's something. It's a very unique feel, Star Wars. And I don't think you yeah. can translate it very easily. Yeah. Richard, you would. You talked at the beginning about satire. Is this a satire? You said, and I persuaded you that that was just one of many, many layers. But um, I do find it in the whole idea of the peasants being the the ones who are skilled in yeah. android construction. I think is one of the nicest elements of this. Mm. Nobody really goes into it in any detail. It's just a. a mm. It's just something we're asked to believe. But it is. Would you like to discuss it as a socio-political satire? Or would you like to move swiftly on? Uh, I'm <laughs> because it, that could fit in your, your Marxian, Marxist analysis, which I think you were heading towards at the beginning. The fact that the productive labour is done by these peasants mm. enthralled in their serfdom and the useless aristocrats have no discernible skills of their own whatsoever. But it's, it's amplified, isn't it? It's heightened. They're not just in a traditional... Marxist analysis: The productive labour is sowing, you know, is sheafing the corn and keeping yeah. the aristocrats mm. fed. Here, <laughs> they literally have skills that are way beyond anybody mm. on our planet, but they're still peasants, which I think says something about the arbitrary nature of these sorts of class divides. Mm. It tells us something well, about why it was fashionable. It, it reminds you of the fact it was fashionable to have very pale skin in certain eras. In Europe, because if you you know if you had a healthy complexion, <laughs> that meant you spent all the time outdoors, which means you're mm. a labourer. So the more yes. you could, the, the more useless you were. This seems to be the Soft unspoken hands. suggestion. Mm. The more it could be proved that you did nothing of any worth, or any of any practical value in society, the more important you were. Mm. And this is, in its own way, tapping into that, mm. but not making a big song and dance about it. Yeah, it's not it's being written as the play for today version. Mm. It's I'm oh, sorry, I've just been watching the play for today documentary. We should have watched that. <laughs> mm. It would be interesting to have some background, some more background on the society, or whether or not this is. I mean, putting putting the science fiction traps trappings on this 
is this a degraded earth colony that has gone down this route or or what you know what's the what's the actual origin of the society because you could imagine it being you can kind of imagine it being a being another state of decay kind of scenario yeah. almost I, that I was thinking that I was thinking that mm, at the beginning where the people are preserving you know some people have preserved the technology and the you know and the officer class have, have become the nobility and cultivated the finer things at the expense of being able to do anything useful yeah it's either more interesting than that or depending on the point of view less plausible than the mm. traditional science fiction look because as you say it's normally some of the peasants have kept the technology but don't understand mm. it they worship it mm. you know this sort of science fiction is never normally on the side of the ordinary people mm. they're not peasants they're normally savages yeah and these sorts of tales and of course he does have his cake and eat it because this almost entirely concerns the aristocrats we don't see mm. we're told lamy is a peasant she sounds quite posh to us. Yeah. They don't actually try to follow through on all the promise. Yes, we don't see Declan Mulholland. It might have been faintly ludicrous if she was doing one of a typical BBC mm. peasant sort of. Well, she's you know she's 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 mm. she's maybe from Rada, the twin planet of Tara. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, mm. there you go. That's what I think. I think it's a very pleasant story. Yeah. Mm. And it might have been improved with a, a, a suits of more drama, but other than that, I think it achieves what it sets out to do mm. extremely well. And I'm so glad we have stories like this occasionally, rather than yeah, bad original science fiction. Mm. I think I should leave it less than another 42 years before I watch it <laughs> for a well, third time. Yes, I mean in general, I would agree, and in. Um, <laughs> Noting your particular situation, I wouldn't leave anything another 42 years. <laughs> uh, are you telling me I'm not going to make 94? <laughs> I've just had a birthday since we last recorded. I've been oh. catching up with you. Yes, of <laughs> In lockstep. Uh, it throws a couple of nice curveballs into the, into the mix in terms of the cliffhangers and so on. I, mean, I find the... Um, the Doctor clubbing down Romana at the end of episodes. That's episode two, isn't it? Yeah. Quite effective because I don't think we have had a. I confess, I'm, I might have wandered away from the TV for a moment, but I don't think we actually have a. Have a. We're not given a clue. No. Beforehand that that's about that particular scheme of Grendel's, although mm. he he outlines most other things. Yeah. Yeah, we know we know what's coming. We know what the plan is, but in that case. It's quite a it's quite a nice surprise moment. It is, yeah. You think you know she turns up and you think what the hell's going on? Obviously, we were talking about with regards to the you know comparisons with with the book with the Prisoner of Zender, and in this case, obviously, that's hinged on the idea that the hero Rudolf Rassendil is is the double, and so he has to kind of carry the roles of the you know the Doctor and the Android duplicates are one and the same, and so we don't have all the all the other mucking around with doubles, and we don't have the idea of you know of Romana and you know of having another set of duplicates going on around mm. there. But otherwise, it's pretty faithful to the to the book. Oh, and then uh, on the other hand, yeah, it's funny they split they split one protagonist and um, and united the two antagonists on the other side because you have Black Michael and Rupert of Hensel who are merged together to make Grendel. Of Gracht, because Henso is the kind of henchman to Black Michael, who's the one who wants to 
actually get onto the get onto the throne. But one thing they have done they've actually they fix a plot hole in the original, which is that when they have the, the drugging scene at the hunting lodge in the in the actual book, Black Michael comes in and and takes away Prince Rudolph, but apparently leaves the twin. You know, despite presumably right. there being an opportunity for him to observe the twin, <laughs> the doppelganger, the doppelganger, he just leaves him lying around for mischief to be made. Whereas in this, obviously, the the android has been happily packed off, so so it makes more sense that Grendel is somewhat taken aback mm. when they open the um, open the doors on the coronation chamber and. And the prince is apparently on the throne. Hmm. Good point. Just a little nicety. Here's to David Fisher. Hmm. Yep. Okay, are we ready to look at the second one? Yes. Let's move on to a different castle. Hmm. So, our second story, Robot of Sherwood, uh, written by Mark Gatiss, from the early part of Series 8. I mean, we already looked at um, Deep Breath, well, it didn't feel like that long ago. I suppose it was probably six months ago. Um, interestingly, for this era, there's no credit for Stephen Moffat in it. So, you know, it seems like Mark Gatiss is the one that he allows to, to go away and write stuff, trusts him, and doesn't sort of spend a huge amount of time fiddling with it. Um, and directed by Paul Murphy, who also directed The Caretaker. Oh, right. Are they his only two stories? Uh, so far as I could tell. I thought it was very nicely done. Mm. It's, I mean, yeah. because I'm getting very old, I've, I no longer remember the name. I haven't got room in my head for the names of all the directors like I do for the classic series. So they, they come and go, and I don't know where they came from by and large, but um, it, it just seemed effortlessly, effortlessly to be making the best of the material, both the actors and visually. Mm. I think there's more of them. There's, there's, there's more of the, of the directors in the new series. You don't get these kind of same names turning up again and again. No, no. Wonder why? Do they not want to hang around? Are they using it as a stepping stone? Mm. Yeah, possibly. A poss- I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if if, mm. if uh, they're able to pick him up sort of mm. cheap while they're sort of early <laughs> in, their, in, in, in their careers, and then they move on to better. Th- I, I, well, well, it does a- seem as though they're the sort of people they're choosing, doesn't it? But and it has mixed results. But again, as I was, mm. I'm saying far too often, I thought it looked much was much more striking visually than a lot of the stuff we've had in the last couple of seasons. I, not quite sure why. <laughs> so, so, I mean, my my t- quick take on it before we go into detail was that I remember hating it when it was originally <laughs> shown, and I quite enjoyed it this time. I, I, I'm I'm struggling to remember why mm. I hated it so much, and I think it m- might come down a little bit towards the the character of of the Twelfth Doctor. I know that we'll get I, into that, but I think I might largely agree with you there. Mm. I don't didn't I don't remember hating it, but I also almost <laughs> I remember being quite annoyed by it mm. and just writing it off as another one of those occasions when I won't get those fifty seven forty seven minutes of my life back. Mm. And to get this time, I thought it was terrific. So how? And uh, I've been trying to work out why. Yes. And I don't know if it's as I don't know if it's the same thing I keep saying over and over again that um, I took for granted the quality of the show back then mm. that they could churn this stuff out week after week. Even what the filler episodes and listeners, in case you don't remember, when I say that, I don't think that. I just mean the ones that don't, that tend to get ignored or overlooked or written off because they're not part of a, a big arc. They're often some of my favourites, but they can also tend to be ones in the 50 minute format that don't work as well for me mm. because it's a tricky mm. thing to pace correctly. But this one, 
is done very nicely. And it's, for, for once, it has just the right number of twists and turns. If it just, <laughs> when I say it has just the right number, we'll probably get onto mm. this later, it almost has one too many. But some unexpected editing yes. pruned that and ended up with just the right amount of plot development. It could actually have tipped over into one of those stories mm. where yeah. you, my eyes start rolling in the last five minutes, which happens quite a lot when people write as panic and think they just need one more twist. But we'll come on to that. Giles, do you have a, a, a sort of you know quick thought about the, the episode? Yeah, I felt fairly similar to you two that I remember not really enjoying this at the time. For me, I have a feeling I just the the Robin Hood performance wound me up. Mm-hmm. I think for some for some some reason again I can't quite work it out now why why it's irritating me at the time, and I haven't watched it again since. As tends to be the story of our life in this. On this show, yeah, and again, I came back to it, and I found—I wouldn't say I was absolutely blown away by it, but I found it perfectly, perfectly pleasant viewing for a rewatch, and quite diverting in its way. Hmm. Okay, good news. I don't feel like that's the first time we've we've expressed these sorts of sentiments about a new a new Who episode, and possibly not the first time that it's been a Mark Gatiss new Who episode. So I, I don't know if there's anything in this. But we yeah. keep seeming to say that he writes these writes episodes that we don't fully appreciate on first, mm. yeah, for one we... reason or another on first viewing, and that take time to mature. All apart from Victory of the Daleks, which we still didn't like, but yeah. <laughs> all the others, I think we've yeah, we've tended yes. to find yeah, we've more, more than made our pace with we. Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess the, the nature of his experience as, as a comic writer comes to the fore here as well. I mean, you know, the, the, you, you could you could maybe say on occasion it's a little bit smug, but on the whole, it, you know, it's not it's nice, nicely done. There's, 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 there's mm. some nice comic touches in it. He generally balances. I mean, it's it's more consistently comic mm. than most of his episodes, isn't it? Yeah, he normally balances a comedy and <laughs> pathos. And commentary mm. in equal measures. So I don't know if he was being encouraged to write something a bit lighter here, because of course it's um it's an, uh, an important early episode for a mm. new Doctor, so it would have been considered to have a to have a particular job to mm. do. But it plays very much to one of his <laughs> obvious strengths, he, which he must think of as a strength himself, because he he does like chewy pseudo historical dialogue, which he can fill with half remembered mm. classical references. And mm. indeed, references to anything that pops into his head at any moment. Yeah. Which makes it very entertaining to watch. Mm. What I like about it is it's based upon a conceit which is played for laughs throughout most of the story and then turns out to be tangentially related to the actual plot and then has some sort of semi meaningful payoff at the end. But the idea that the Doctor assumes that Robin Hood can't be real mm. before they even get there. And then everything that happens when he meets him seems to bear out his prejudice. Yeah, is um, is the is the main point of this, isn't it? That seems to be the starting point, and it's carried on, <laughs> possibly, mm. a little too consistently, throughout. And it works very nicely for me. But the bit that didn't work as well, and on first viewing, I think it's the thing that put me off is the, the antagonism between Robin Hood and the Doctor just makes mm. the Doctor look lesser. It makes yeah. him look. I'm used to going, uh, when you watch these early 12 Doctor stories out of context, it is slightly startling just how much of an arsehole he is. Hmm. 
which I think is the thing that unfortunately encumbers mm. a lot of these season eight stories. He's just overwritten. We just discussed mm. this under Deep Breath, didn't we? Yeah. We discussed the fact that it's not really prevalent in Deep Breath and then suddenly mm. appears in the next episode. And he's just being unnecessarily snarky. At some point they decide that's the way to go with him. I suppose it's leavened a bit here because it's played for laughs. And he's not just being nasty to ordinary people. To, to underlings mm. who just don't deserve it and can't cope with it as he is in some of the other stories. Which is running around barking insults at people. Here, it's a lot more palatable because he's... We can see why he would be annoyed with Robin Hood. He's annoyed on two fronts, isn't he? He's annoyed because, on a character level because Robin Hood is a merry man constantly laughing for mm. no reason and this doctor does not like people who yeah. laugh <laughs> which is you know, which is quite nice we can understand that he might not like people who are ostentatiously happy because of his Scottish disposition we can, <laughs> we can understand that a bit better than when he says it's coming up with lines like she cares so I don't have to which still haunts mm. me to this day and, <laughs> and I will never forgive so it's partly, partly on that level and also the fact that it offends his sensibilities that Robin Hood might be might be real, which when he is played his hand that he was fictional before they got there. Mm. Mm. But um, where it starts to fall down, I think I was really enjoying the first 16, 17 minutes. And there's a hell of a lot that goes on in that first. It's nicely paced. There's a lot mm. that goes on in that first quarter. But then when they're all locked up together, Robin Hood, Doctor Who, and Clara. Yes. I don't really like that middle section so much because it falls into even though this is written by Mark Gates, it falls into one of those. Stephen Moffat tropes yes. with the two men arguing, yes. having a sort of metaphorical dick measuring competition and trying to impress mm. the woman. And that ruins the whole of that midsection for me. And it also makes the doctor look like a yeah. tit. Yeah. Um, he looks petty and mm. it's just too much. It's, it's a retread of Day of the Doctor, isn't it, in a way? Yeah. Where they have exactly the same scenario, except there's three of them then. Although I suppose the, the 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 sort of smart one is shared by John Hurt and and Clara in that particular one, but but nonetheless, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of the same thing. I agree. I like the gag that it ends with the minion being sent to. <laughs> he's been observing them to find out which one's the ringleader, and he's yeah. Clara. That's a funny gag mm. in itself, but it's over. The, the way we get there is overwritten, and it and it, I don't think we needed the Doctor to look. Yeah, I can imagine that same scene with Matt Smith, and you could have the the villains would assume would not assume that the Doctor was in charge because mm. generally the Doctor never looks like he's the one in charge, does he? No. He does appear incompetent and ineffectual, but not. Be <laughs> but you can do that in other ways than because he's mm. whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. the Twelfth Doctor is. But I, I guess the, the problem with this in this one is that not only does he appear incompetent and ineffectual, he's actually incompetent and ineffectual. Because he, you know, he loses the key at some point. Yeah, you it's know. just too much, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. And and, and uh, you know, equally for me, you know, Clara's is set up to be the best, but she she doesn't seem to be. It doesn't feel quite earned. She doesn't feel feel to me that she's quite <laughs> smart enough to be able to to carry that off. But that's what I don't dislike Clara the way some people do but I can understand why they do and it's because she's written to be an uber proficient companion right from the beginning isn't it and sometimes sometimes in the writing that comes across as something that the writers are assuming is inherent to the character without any need to demonstrate it hmm. other times it's funny you, should, you mentioned uh, Tenth Doctor and 
Rose earlier. I think you said the Tenth Doctor and Rose, but you know the smugness. Mm. I think this is the first time we really returned to that season two feel, mm. where uh, so again a lot of the middle section was spoiled for me, and going into what would be <laughs> part three, the third act, mm. because both the Doctor and Clara are just being very very smug, and for all that you might a viewer of the Antral Tatara might think, well, Tom Baker's not taking it seriously. There's no threat. I don't ever believe the Doctor's in any harm. I still don't think that's a, that's a nothing compared to what we have here, where neither the Doctor, in his own way, or Clara seem to break a sweat in getting out of these mm. situations. We know she's very competent and very, very clever. And, of course, they later turn that into a character trait of hers, that she's actually trying to be the Doctor rather than the assistant. They make that explicit, don't they, in, the, in her last series. And that mm. becomes her, her downfall. But it is, maybe the problem starts here, when the Doctor stops acting like the Doctor and sort of forces her to... Mm. Yes, yeah, you're right. ...to take up the slack. But then then you've got them both doing it, and that, in its own way, can act as a barrier. Mm. Stopping us getting too engaged with the drama, because we don't really believe. What's the point in sticking around to watch? It's all, it all becomes about how they're going to get, about, how to get mm. out of this, rather than whether they will. I guess the reason why I don't I don't believe Clara's competence is that she's she's so trusting over Robin and the Merry Men. Now, I mean, as as it turns out, the trust is well placed, but she doesn't know enough going into it to mm. be sure of that. Mm. Again, it's reminiscent of Rose, isn't it? It's reminiscent, she was always very excited about meeting historical figures, mm. bouncing up and down. But it's, yes, it's not as bad as that. Mm. Yes, there's a look, the look on her face when they do the the um, slide down the slide down the ripping curtain thing at the end when her and Robin. It's, yes. it's a little too self. It's a bit too self satisfied <laughs> about. There's no look of terror or excitement or anything like that on her face when they're doing it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit too cocky. And considering this is the series before we, yeah, were meant to go down the Clara's getting too cocky for her own good avenue. So, hmm. But. That running plot about the Doctor not believing is played for last for almost the entire length. He doesn't believe mm. he doesn't believe that Robin Hood can be true, can be real. He meets mm. him. He's so they're so over the top with their merry men antics. He yeah. assumes that there's something funny going on. Lists a lot of <laughs> science fiction tropes that would explain it. That's quite nicely done because we're all you know it's, it's um, yes. trusting your audience to go with you on that. And then when it pays off at the end. I actually found it quite moving this time, oddly enough. I wasn't expecting to. When Robin turns the tables on, on the Doctor, because off-screen, Clara's filled him in on who the Doctor is. Oh, yes. And he describes mm. himself, and it applies to the Doctor as well, <laughs> if you squint a bit. Mm. I, mean, I, just, I, was not, I wasn't really expecting that to work as well as it did. And because of that, though I didn't really entirely buy the reasons why Robin had seemed so fake early on. I went with it because... and They, they tried to do several different tricks there. They tried to have that whole uh, what will I be remembered as thing mm. that we first saw it with um, Dickens, mm. don't they? There's <laughs> a quite cursory run at that. Well, are you telling me I'll be remembered as a fictional character not as a real man? Mm. But because that doesn't really have that much weight behind it, they gloss over it. Robin says, fair enough. So, so what about the sheriff then? So I, th I think that I gathered from the plot he's supposed to be have been enhanced in some way 
he's he, he's not he's not an actual android, but he's got some aspects of. Are there any clues to that on screen whatsoever? No. There's, there's half of a line about well, apart, from, apart from the line, yeah. Yes, it's a it's a bit like McGann. Mm. He's he's half human, but yeah, that's the only thing that's that's said. Just doing that that final sword fight on the top, but then again, earlier on, he punches one of the punches one of the robot knights, and apparently bruises his hand and you know is mm. damaged, and so you assume he's human. Yeah. And Paul, you might want to talk us through what's what's missing for those of us who for those who are unaware, since you hinted at it earlier. <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I wasn't going to go into details, but maybe I'll have to. The one scene that we know for a fact was cut is a scene where the sheriff would have been beheaded. Yeah. And that mm. presumably would have been the reveal that he was an android as well. Mm. And that had to be cut out due to some unfortunate real-life events just in the week before mm. it was due to be shown. Funny, interesting that they never considered, seemed to have considered putting them back in for repeats or for DVD yeah. release. We're stuck with this version. Now, I must have missed that if there is a line suggesting before that point that he's partly robot I, I missed it and so i was it's not entirely clear whether that would have been after the decapitation or before it i was watching mm. it this time trying to work out in fact i think i was the first time because unfortunately it got revealed maybe it's on the forums rather than any any more right. widely but i think it got revealed before it was originally shown wasn't it that it had to be re-edited or maybe it was in the papers as well i think the script edited this was because this was a series where they had the script leaked out of some bbc office in miami or whatever oh yeah however <laughs> it happened that they the scripts of the first five leaked onto the internet. My understanding of it was that that must have happened, and then and then the sheriff picked up his head and put it back on. Yeah. Ah, and continued the yeah, and continued the fight. I hadn't thought of that. So just a moment like that, right? I was thinking, right? Okay, I was assuming it would have come at the end and there's a whole sequence where he climbs back out of the mm. pit of molten gold like the Terminator, oh, Terminator style yeah and na- and then then you would mm. know for the first time he's an android and presumably then you could cut his head off with impunity mm. interesting so if what you said is true then that's would have been quite a quick moment that might only have taken a, a minute at most because mm. i noticed that the running time isn't ridiculously short no. it doesn't look like no, cut no. anything no. major out no. Mm. Like, but it, I mean, wouldn't it have been quite gruesome though for Robin Hood to have swiped off the which, head? I mean, in it, which it, version, Giles's version or mine? Giles's version, which which I yeah. which, which I believe is the the real version. So so I I, I don't yeah. I mean, so I, I, I'm, quite, point... I'm quite glad that they've chosen to edit it this way because I don't think I want the original. No. Well, I suppose I mean, given how they given how they cut it or whatever, you don't you've only got to have him. I guess you'd have the head knocked off and and him. And the body staggering, you know, the body staggering around and going over and picking up, well, picking up, picking up the head and a bit of a Mickey the um, Mickey the Orton style. Yeah. But that's the point. Comedy. It wouldn't look, it wouldn't look gruesome because he is no, a robot. But Robin was, yeah. Hood didn't know that, no. so mm. it becomes it's gruesome in a, in a character point yes. of view. That yes. Robin is going he's, into he's a bit headed, not thinking he's a man. Mm. He's, which, that's true, and I think especially given you know given real world events, so that yeah. makes it contrived in the wrong yeah. sort of way. That mm. he only makes performs a specific violent action on this character because the writer knows mm. that it's not going to be gruesome yes. because he's a robot, and that's the yes. wrong reason to do that. So, yes. Something like that. Indeed. So I think that doesn't work dramatically for me. So I'm, mm. on that basis, I'm glad it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. But then, 
because I missed any hints that he is part android. That's what I was referring to earlier, the yeah. suggestion mm. that that would have been one twist too many. Yeah. I feel like it is a big detail to change if I'm not alone in thinking that you can watch this without picking up on the idea that the sheriff is supposed to be either a robot or enhanced. It's a massive change to the character and cutting that out, cutting out what I thought was all the evidence yeah. for that. Mm. Well, I mean, but there's there's more than that for me. So, so, so I mean, the the issue I've got is that what's the motivation of the sheriff if, if he isn't if, if you know if he isn't a human? Hmm. You know, what, what, why is all this going on? I mean, what what, what yeah. what's what's the point of Absolutely. a half android well, or presume, full android? Hmm. I presume that the whole thing with because um, it really doesn't it's not elucidated, but I presume the whole thing with the the scene with Clara where you know, the sort of pseudo seduction scene where he gets the story out of yeah. him has presumably got to have you know, that's got to be his memory of what happened. And then he has been enhanced they they've chosen him and he has been enhanced by them. Hmm. Although we don't you know, that's the only way it can make yeah make much sense because otherwise, you know, he's he's clearly not just the Android leader that's come to Earth with them. I don't see what it adds to the story. It's just no, a, neither do I. It doesn't change. It doesn't explain his motivation or change the way we look at him. Mm. And really, does it? If, in fact, for me, <laughs> it, that's why I thought it would have felt like a gratuitous extra twist, one twist too many, because he acts like a human. Yeah. And it would actually overcomplicate things and make it less comprehensible. If in some way he wasn't, there would be a missing chunk of the story. The story would then have to be about why somebody who was partly inhuman would not know that, or because mm. he doesn't seem to know it, does he? Does he? I mean, I don't. Know. And it, it would leave too many questions hanging. Well, he seems to think that, so that, he's, much... that he's going to be king or something, doesn't he? Which I mean, why why would an android want to be king? I mean, doesn't make much sense to me. Why would that bloke with the skin problem in Ghostlight? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not that's not a genuine question. It's a rhetorical question. Well, yeah, um, well, but but I, but I guess because you know because people like Count Grendel and mm. like this sheriff kind of want power. But why? Why does an android want it? And you know, yeah. Mm. Well, he's definitely meant to be a hybrid of some. Yes. Um, again, bringing. Um, I mean, you could have explained yeah. it away very easily because in we've got. A spaceship that's full inexplicably of the all the myths and legends of Earth's history. Yeah, mm. has it arrived in the future? By the way, is that explained? No, the doctor. The doctor waves around the fact it's it's twenty ninth century technology. Oh, does he? At one point, does that um, is, does that supposed to be dating to the girl in the fireplace and deep no, breath? That's the 50, clockwork that's people. Fi- that's fifty second. That, that oh all God. comes from that all comes from the um the Wing Shang era. Right. All of that, all of that stuff ties back. Um, I believe thirty, thirty something is is Ark in Space era, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, but when he throws out this idea, it's twenty ninth century, but then doesn't. Oh, just before, right? Mm. And then Uh, it's on its way. It's somehow it's on its way to this promised land, which is I'd completely forgotten all that. That baffled me um, watching it out of context. That's heading towards Missy's. Computer, yes, cyberspace with all the souls in it, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, which is an idea that I now can't remember how that tied in with the return of the Cybermen, if indeed it did. But we're not Mm. talking about that, are we? 
Does that feel to you like something that was crowbarred in once the showrunner decided on the overarching plot for the season? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it has to be there for any. I don't think it's. There's no real sign that it's integral to the structure of this plot. No. All you need, all you need is a crashed spaceship. And yeah. Any of those moments where the Doctor effectively turns the camera and says, "This is mm. just like that thing that happened last week." Remember? Mm. Yes. And winks at the audience. <laughs> They're mm. the moments that I am suspicious of. Hmm. I'm trying to remember where the whole lift-off of the faulty engines is. Is it the Warrior's Gate one? Is that where, where I'm, what I'm thinking of? Is there something else? Well, that's, the, is there another the back story? Back blast, bounce back, lift... will blast back and destroy us all. Hmm. Now, is there something else that involves some taking off with a faulty engine? I suppose there's numerous things along that line. Planet, planets of Evil and things like that have got um, I'm just thinking about where where um, Gators is likely to be plundering. I, I I've got a vague memory of ideas from. Different, isn't it? I've got mm. a vague memory of being unsatisfied with that ending the first time round. This time round, it seemed to make perfect sense to me that it's got it's hasn't got enough gold to be fully stable, so it's going to explode anyway. Mm. But it also hasn't got enough to get out of the atmosphere, so it's going to destroy Earth. So the yeah, arrow yeah. is just enough to give it enough extra oomph to get out of the atmosphere so it can explode harmlessly. That seems mm. logically quite tight, so that's yes, quite yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the, perfectly the physics happy with that. is potentially a little bit lacking. But oh, I'm not talking about real <laughs> physics. <I'm> just, <laughs> the internal logic of the story, <laughs> as in some gold, enough gold, yeah, too I much mean, gold. It, and it, 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 in Silver Nemesis terms, it's perfect, yeah. There was, <laughs> it did remind me of that a little bit. Um, so another bit that I thought was slightly clumsy, and I don't know whether this is just me being picky, but um, it might just be a factor of the short episode lengths, but the Merry Men work out, well, raise the question of the significance of the gold in a mm. cutaway scene with none of our heroes present, just apparently for, to give them something to do. And then later mm. on, the Doctor thinks of the same thing himself and then works it out, comes up with the answer. So, I'm not a big fan of that kind of writing, but I know what it's done. It's it's done so that it doesn't come out of nowhere. The Doctor doesn't just pull it completely out, out of a hat at the end, which I think I would have liked mm. even less. So it's it's there to give the audience a chance to think about it, start ruminating what the point of the gold is, ready for the Doctor to tell them. But it's not ideal that dramatically there's no link between them discovering it and, and Doctor Who a bit later on, so... Mm. One point on, one point off for that. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Did we notice David Benson playing the chap who officiates at the arrow shooting competition? No. Oh, that's who it is. Right. Ah, My good friend David Benson. Yes, I I knew I recognised him from somewhere. Yeah. I vaguely remember him saying that uh, it was cut down quite a lot. Whether Mm. or not there was lots more scripted for his character, if he was just ad-libbing, I don't know. I should have asked him <laughs> prior to this, but I didn't. That was funny. I like that. That's the sort of thing that when these sorts of stories mm. should be doing, if they genuinely want to be funny, then you can riff riff on the tropes of the genre mm. and <laughs> take the piss out of the arrow, splitting arrow in half trope by having mm. a third and a fourth and a fifth arrow splitting yeah. each other in half sequentially. Mm. Feels like a new gag to me. I don't think I've seen that done before. Mm. That's nice. So the, the Doctor's arrow is 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 a homing device. So he tells us later on. Yes. Mm. Are we supposed to think that Robin Hood's just that good? Yes, because this is well. Mm. That's the level the story's on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's. I was going to talk about that really, tonally, 
Android Atara is what we Doctor Who fans call a romp. And yeah. I suppose mm-hmm. this is a romp in the, the modern day version of a romp. Yeah. But they're not totally identical, are they? So what, what's the difference? Is this one trying to work on more than one level at a time? Is, is Android Atara consistently working on the same level of rompiness? And Robot of Sherwood trying to be a romp and then pull the rug out. Mm. Well, not such pull the rug out in front of you, but yeah. but explain why it's rompy at the end. It doesn't feel like it can just present us with something this silly without mm. without taking a step back at the end and saying actually the characters who seemed silly were just put it were doing that mm. for a reason and mm. all the things that seemed unbelievable have an explanation. Yeah. I mean, for fun, when Robot of Sherwood breaks the fourth wall only to discover that the fourth wall is still there, after all. Whereas Tara just sort of is, is quite happy with the fact that it's slightly preposterous, but, mm. you know, we could, but, but internally consistent, I guess. Yes. Yes, the only nod, the only nod in Tara is, I think, I think the... Um, oh, yes. I think, I think the Doctor has a why not, it's been done before. Indeed, yes. Moment <laughs> at, one, at one point, but... Um, and who knows whether... That's that's not an ad-lib then, Richard, if you say that there was only one ad-lib and it wasn't that. That same I gag is, is possible. I wonder if that gag was, mm. wasn't was David Fisher's. Maybe it was Anthony Reid, the script editor, because they do the same gag in Horns and Nymon. Mm. They wink at the members of the audience who know oh, that this course, is based yes. on the Greek yeah. myths. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the only... I'm not saying the, thing, the bartering thing is the... Uh, the um, haggling thing is the only... is the only ad-lib gag. It's just the only one that I'm, I'm aware of. Oh, you um, said that. Sorry. Yeah, I apologise for giving Richard the credit for your amazing observation. <laughs> it's not that great. You need to give Richard Molesworth the credit, really. Yeah. But, yeah, in this one, yes, it's much more self-consciously. And, yeah, as you say, Andrew Zatara kind of just gets on with it. And if it's, yes, there's an opportunity for characters to be witty along the way and Tom to be slightly zany in his in his way. But this one is much more kind of... And Robin Hood's basically Lord Flashard, isn't he? <laughs> yes, I guess that's the Basically. point. But the problem yeah, is, I he's. Th- I think this is what jarred with me the first time, and then this time I quite, I quite, I quite enjoyed it. The problem is turning the Doctor into Blackadder. Mm. That's the problem. Yes. And of course, not everybody was a fan. Not all Blackadder fans were a fan, were fans of the Flashard episodes. Particularly, I think each time mm. he appeared, and come Blackadder goes forth, he's vertical mm. stealing the episode from Rowan Atkinson, but he's also. Mm. Giving Blackadder the title character less to do. Yeah. It's mm. a tricky thing to pull off when you have a scene stealing character, isn't it? Mm. But anyway, I don't have a preference for romps that are happy just to be to work on their own level and as you call, say, the self conscious modern version, which is what we have we get nowadays, if you're going to push the boundaries of realism, you have to explain why you're doing it nowadays. Mm. And I don't mind I either as long as you pick one do it well and stick to it mm. and here i think it works because it's not like the myth makers for example presenting us with the greek myths mm. <laughs> and winking at the audience about how this is going to play out because we all know our history and pretending we're going to get the comedy version of it and then pulling the rug from under our feet at the end it's mm. it's not doing that well, no. Now I'm imagining an episode, of, a, a version of this story where, where the final the final scene plays out like Blake. Yeah. They're all, <laughs> they're all brutally gunned, <laughs> brutally shot down by the by the yeah. androids. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's quite nice in a way that 
Gatiss thinks to himself, well, you know, one of the times when we had this kind of scenario of, of people being stereotypes was Carnival of Monsters, and that turned out to be, you know, actually a, a, a show in a box. So let's make yeah. it an explicit oh, reference course. to that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I think that's it. Part of the self-consciousness is because writers nowadays are also tend to be fans so mm. it's difficult to write a, new, a Doctor Who story without the weight of all the thousands of previous episodes mm. buffeting your brain while you're trying to think of something original. And also he's extremely intelligent and well-read. So when you put all that together, of course he's going to be mm. coming, trying to mm. do every version of this story at, at once. Mm. Mm. I think what I was going to say was that in New Who, in the old days, there are lots of different types of historicals. You could have them told straight... Like uh, you could, they could be didactic, educational. They yeah. could be farcical, satirical. Now there's only one type. They are the romps. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tends to be when you get a romp in New Who is because it's a historical, and you have to jazz it up a bit. You can't mm. be any of those things. We're not here to inform, educate, and then we're just here to entertain. So when you mm-hmm. go back into the past, <sighs> your modern your modern companion has to um, make jokes about it, mm-hmm. and that seems to be what we're stuck with. So at least. Mark Gates is doing something different here by choosing a, an area of history which is questionably authentic. He can come at it from a different angle hmm. and push the rompiness further than than usual, get more extreme yeah. jokes out of it. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've got to, to um, give Paul Murphy here also the credit for making that ridiculous sort of spoon versus sword fight kind of almost work. Mm. It does, doesn't it? Hmm. Because you know it oughtn't to work because the doctor's with is within sword range the whole time with his little spoon. <laughs> yes. But but, but, but somehow uh, they, they 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 carry it off. Mm. Um, I was wondering that. Clever. So it seems entirely like the sort of thing a writer would think up and the direct, and <laughs> the people who are charged with making it work visually would. Go, oh my God! Go, yeah. No, I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You can think, you can dream this stuff, you can type this stuff, George, mm. but you can't say it. Mm. You can't film it. <laughs> yes. Trevor yeah. Cooper there as. Um, ah, it's just a shame he doesn't have much to do. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the. Well, you know, joining a long list. It's kind of traditional mm. now, for, isn't it, for actors from the old series making their curtain mm. calls in the new series? Mm. Mm. Trevor Cooper, Christopher Benjamin. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Trevor Cooper's mate from Revelation of the Daleks, and so on and so on. Just nice to see them again. Mm, yes. Yeah. And I mean, my only other thing I was going to say about this is I, I like the Clara's line where he, you know he says first Nottingham, then Derby, then Lincoln, and then she says, and then Worksop. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's a nice kind of Midlands joke that, or, mm. or uh, East Midlands. Yeah. Damn, I missed just... opportunity for a plug there. Yeah. Damn it! Damn it! I know my plugs always work <clears throat> so well. I should have, but <laughs> I. I I didn't think of it, and now it's too late. If I do it now, it'll fall flat on its face, won't it? Listeners, if you want more Trevor Cooper, go out and <laughs> rush out to your local Big Finish stockist and buy The Paternoster Gang, Volume 4. He's in the episode Merry Christmas, Mr. Jago, uh-huh. which I, I'm told the writing and is particularly fine. Mm. And <laughs> it has an excellent cast including the aforementioned Christopher Benjamin and Trevor Cooper, and all of the Paternoster gang. It's, it's receiving good reviews. Mm. <laughs> it is. 
buy it for yourself for Christmas and for a friend for Christmas and then for another friend for Christmas. <laughs> I don't necessarily stop there, but I think that should be that should be the minimum of your purchases. Hmm. Robert of Sherwood. Good title. It's got a pun in it. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> well, <laughs> is, just, is, is, does it, does it fall it, into uh, arachnids in the UK? It's better... Uh, <laughs> it's better than that. <laughs> You see, on a technical level, on a technical level, arachnids in the UK should work fine. It's it's pretty, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) On the technical level of sharing the two words that that correlate to form the pun, share enough letters to make it work, but it doesn't work on any other level. Mm. Whereas robot of Sherwood is quite funny and charming. It's Mm. a charming idea, the robot of Sherwood. Yeah, well, it it is quite good, except that. There isn't the robot of Sherwood, except that it's the Sherwood no. of Nottingham, except that except it isn't a robot. It isn't. <laughs> yeah. Apart from that, well, it, it kind of, does it work in that it's intentionally misleading? Because we're supposed yes. to think right from the beginning that it's Robin. Okay, mm, good. Yes. Just checking. And it doesn't give the game away in the way that uh, no. No. the Android invasion does. Or, mm. <laughs> yeah. or indeed or, the Android in Tower. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Brilliant. What links are there? Castles, pastiching, yep. castles, romance, other f- androids, sword fights. Yes. Mm. There really sword couldn't fights. be two more similar stories. Mm. R- Robin, We've excelled ourselves this time. Robin gets his Marion. Reinhardt ends up with Strella, does he? I think so. He does, yes. Yeah, definitely. There's a clinch at the end. You've got a couple of nice standoffs as well. We've mentioned them both. Uh, Romana with with Grendel and then Clara and the sheriff. Mm. The companion gets something nice to do. Damn it! You've reminded me. I've moved on prematurely to the link section because you reminded me of something that both a good a plus and a minus for Robert Sherwood that I forgot to mention. Go on then. Marion, I'd forgotten the plot, <laughs> so I'd forgotten who mm. this random young woman. Oh yeah. Was mm. and all the way through. In fact, I'd forgotten she was in it when she disappears for a very long stretch and it mm. reappears when the doctor gets to the dungeons and I was going to complain that this is another truncated subplot for Mark Gatiss a bit like you know not as, not as heinous as in Victory of the Daleks where oh, the, yes. the, the poor yes. widowed Wren um, yeah. appears in one scene at the beginning one scene at the end but no it's, it's yeah. not much more than that and it's it, I was going to say it just feels like Gatiss always wants to have a more grounded subplot with with some pathos and emotion in it to counterpoint the high camp elsewhere, but never puts much time into it or effort in... So not effort. There's plenty of effort, but not enough time. And whether or not they, he doesn't write... that It gets pushed out at scripting stage or whether it's script editing or filming that the, you know, or editing, I don't know. But... I hadn't spot. I hadn't thought that she might be Marion, so that reveal at the very end came as a nice surprise to me and made me forgive the entire mm. thing. Because again, I found that oh, those were the two moments I found oddly moving, because it was unexpected. And perhaps if she had been, if we'd had, got to know her better as a character, maybe I would have been tipped off, mm. and that moment wouldn't have worked as well. Don't know. As you were. Grendel and the sheriff both end up taking the plunge, although. Grendel escapes and the sheriff doesn't. Hmm. <laughs> He's literally carried yeah. straight on with the links. <laughs> I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't said all that now. Yeah. 
is it time to bring this to a halt? Any, any final? I think I think that's long since passed, but yes. <laughs> we might. <as> well. <laughs> Have you discussed the influence of like other versions of the Robin Hood legend on? On Robert of Sherwood, in terms of oh, other depictions, there. Of course, we haven't. I'll, I'll allow you. I'll allow you uh, a couple of minutes on that if you've got I, something. Oh, I don't, I'm to not say. sure. I'm not sure. I've got a couple of minutes. I mean, the most obvious thing being, being Ben Miller is obviously some something of a homage to, to the late great Alan Rickman. There, isn't he? I think this is definitely taken from the same. The others, I guess, there's a bit. Well, we get an Errol Flynn reference, don't we, during the sword fight? I believe. And yes, the whole the whole business with um, Alan Dale being willing to strike up, at a, mm. strike up, strike up his loot at a moment's notice. I'm trying to think what's there's some there's one of those movies where where it pastiches that, and I don't think it's as late as Robin Hood Men in Tights, <laughs> like of that, of that of that era. I think there's an earlier, yeah, at least a, a couple of earlier ones. And I guess I mean this is after my time, but I guess there's there's a bit of um, Make Marion and a Merry Men kind of stuff going on in there as well. And yeah, like I, I, suppose I think, so. I think yeah. we're all too we're all too uh, young <laughs> longer than safe. Really. Yeah, young. Mm. Sorry, old for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And <laughs> and on, on a more visual level, there's something that I'd completely forgotten, which I think caused quite a stir at the time. Mm. But I spotted it this time without actually looking for it, when the computer display in the spaceship is showing us um, evidence of the Doctor's contention, it's full of representations of Robin mm. Hood from Earth's Myths and Legends. There's a shot of Patrick Troughton's yes. Robin Hood, isn't there? Oh, yes, yeah. yeah Which what, is for a split second, and I think I only, I didn't spot it the first time around, but I did this time, because of course we've seen it now, eight yeah. minutes of it, on the Power of the Daleks DVD. Mm. So that Con- was nice. Conversely, I spotted it the first time around and missed it the second time, but anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, I probably you have to be contrary, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, thanks both of you for coming along with your thoughts on those stories, and thanks to our listeners for uh, for sticking with us, uh, if you have done. Um, and look, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, we've got lots more in our podcast feed. And and you, even if you didn't. Yeah, yeah, we've still got lots more. Yeah, And while we're delighted that, that so many people are listening to us already, we're always keen for the podcast to reach a wider audience. So if 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 you have enjoyed it, please tell your friends uh, and indeed your enemies, and 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 leave us some reviews for on platforms like, for instance, Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've got a uh, a couple more uh, episodes ideas for those that that are in the works before Christmas. We, we, we'll we'll come out with another live show, I'm sure. But in the meantime, goodbye for now. Bye, everyone. Bye. It's not that we're going out. (laughs) Anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, can you cut that bit out, Bridget? Sorry. That's fine. Can you cut that? (laughs) <laughs> Do I have to swear to make you cut it out? <laughs> oh, I was going to say something and now I forgot what it was. Um... <laughs> it went so quiet after I said it that I started to wonder if I'd missed something, if I'd been incredibly stupid. Do they call him Marion all the way through?
do we know that that's her? Uh, I didn't. I cannot remember whether or not her. It her, felt um, it felt like it was especially a big surprise. Yes, I can't remember whether the whether the her guardian at the stars who gets himself killed has the um whether he has um whether he mentions her by name. I'm assuming. I just it felt to me like it was supposed to be a a big yes. twist. Unfortunately, I spoiled it for myself because I went I went to IMDb to check who the actress was <laughs> as I was, as I was watching it, and it credited her as so and so's ward brackets Marion, and um, so that rather blew that for me. Uh, no, she's not. She's not mentioned as Marion. She isn't mentioned until right at the end. Hmm. Good. So you can cut that discussion out and just leave in my excellent bit. So Marion is mentioned five times. The last of which is the when he when he recognises the woman, and the other four times is Clara talking to Robin. Okay. Yeah. Anyone would think you had the script up in front of you. Uh, funnily enough, it's, well, it's, it, it's the, tran- it's the <laughs> transcript. Anyway. Pirates from BBC Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What were they doing in Miami? <laughs> okay, I think uh, 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 before it becomes impossible to edit this, I think that's probably enough. So it's a long one, into, isn't it, mate? Yeah, we go How do we get two my... hours out of that? Well, we just kept talking, didn't stop, I think. Fundamentally. Oh, yeah, that's how it happens, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 